to the Work Joy Jam podcast. I'm your host, Beth Stallwood, founder of Create Work Joy. In this episode, I'm so pleased to be joined by Stephen Dowd. And Stephen was somebody that I heard of and had a chat with and was incredibly inspired by his story. And I'm not going to tell you more about it because you just need to listen to Stephen's story to really understand it. And he tells it in such an interesting way. And there are so many incredible lessons from Stephen's experience, from what could have been um, the most devastating, what was the most devastating thing that could happen to somebody, to really taking that and learning how to make change and we all get into this world of forced change sometimes and think about it in our organizations and what happens and sometimes we're not in control of these things in fact quite a lot of the time we're not and it's about that attitude and the perspective you bring to it I had an incredible time talking to Stephen. In fact, a number of times I've spoken to him, always find the inspiration there. And I really hope you enjoy this episode too. Hello and welcome to the Work Joy Jam. This week I am joined by the fantastic Stephen Dowd and I'm going to let Stephen introduce himself. But when I heard about Stephen, I had to go and find him and I stalked him and made him come on the podcast so I'm really excited for Stephen to share his story and to share his insight onto joy in life and not just at work so Stephen over to you tell us your story hi well thanks for having me on Beth really appreciate it um tell us my story so yeah where do I begin well why don't why don't we start five years ago um about five years ago I was working as head of recruitment for a large uh, investment management company called BMY Mellon a huge company I used to run recruitment for the EMEA region so Europe Middle East and Africa uh, ex-US good job uh, in the city been in the city for a number of years and um and enjoying my trajectory uh, although I was just a regular guy there's no superhuman DNA here it was a good job uh, in in a good firm and going in the right way as many other people do and uh, I was training for a charity bike ride uh, a bike ride called ride london it's 100 mile cycle around the city and uh, and as I was training for that bike ride I headed down to a friend's house uh, to do the 10 mile commute into work. Beautiful day, you know, normal day. And um, I was heading down at about half past six in the morning. So it was nice and bright. Turn around the corner, not traveling at any speed, really. I was doing about eight miles an hour at a particular moment when I hit a barrier I didn't see. And as I hit that barrier, I went over the top and I landed on my head. And as I landed on my head, I immediately snapped the ligament on the back of my neck and sustained a spinal cord injury that left me paralyzed from the middle of my neck down. So I lost my arms, my legs, everything in between, uh, literally in in half a heartbeat. Yeah, it was uh, was pretty intense. And uh, I was taken off from there uh, to St. George's Hospital, which is a teaching hospital here in London. And uh, they told me that my injuries were devastating, um, so devastating that they didn't know if I'd ever regain any of that control of my arms and legs again. Uh, and I could potentially face driving around in a power chair with my mouth for the rest of my life. And at 37 years old, that really wasn't what I wanted for myself. Uh, so my wife and I, Helen, had a really honest conversation and said, that if that is going to be the outcome, then I don't really want that for me. Uh, and I don't want that for you. You don't don't want you having to spend the rest of your days kind of looking after me. 
And uh, and again, it's not what we planned. Although the caveat to that is that many people do live very proud, um, capable lives uh, in that situation. But every injury is unique and every response to that injury is unique. Mm. Uh, and mine was one that said, yeah, this is too much for me. And uh, so with that conversation in hand, uh, we agreed that a one-way ticket to Switzerland was very much an option. Uh, but that said, uh, the doctor's uh, well, the, the consultant said to me, even though your injury is devastating um, and we can't make any promises, we are purely coincidentally, we are running a clinical experimental research trial, uh, which is funded by a spinal cord research charity called Wings for Life. I didn't know who they were at the time or, or what they do. Um, but effectively, what they do do is fund cutting edge research all around the world, no matter where it is, to try and find a cure for spinal cord injury paralysis. Um, so I happened to be very lucky to be in the right place at the right time when they were running this and they had funding for just 50 places. So the consultant said to me, if you wanted to be a part of that, you've got an hour to decide because wow. part of the process was that you had to make a decision very quickly. Uh, it was all about swelling and reducing the swelling and the pressure inside the spinal cord. So obviously time was of the essence. Um, so I had an, an hour to decide if I wanted to be a part. And if I did, I would be number 45. So I was right at the end of the trial. And uh, my wife and I had another conversation and said, well, Switzerland's always there. Why don't we give this a go and see? You know, there are no promises made, but, but they can't make it any worse. So let's see what we can do. And uh, within 24 hours, I'd been put into and out of surgery and uh, was there in intensive care. So yeah, pretty uh, pretty intense times. Uh, we'll talk more about kind of what happened after that time but what a, a thing to go through and it's like I'm here and I'm thinking oh gosh it's one of those moments in time isn't it and you, you talk about being in the right place at the right time for the the trial for the medical trial but also kind of being very just before that in the wrong place at the wrong time and being in that situation and in a situation there where nobody could have predicted what was going to happen that day right nobody yeah. Yeah, totally freak accident. It was, uh, I was doing all the right things. I had the right helmet on. I was traveling in, like, I was aware of what was around me, obviously. I, I say that with a smile on my face because obviously I didn't see the barrier. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I was aware, I was I was doing all the right things in the right way. And it was just one of those things. It was, actually, I would argue that um, it was very difficult to see that particular barrier. It was a very thin black barrier across a road, which was black tarmac. Um, so it's kind of camouflaged from a color perspective, but then also the angle of the A-bar um, that yeah. comes across was exactly the same angle as the paving this, like, as it go, goes off into the vanishing point. So it was kind of perspectively camouflaged as well. So when I went back thinking, oh my God, what an idiot am I? So I went back to the site of injury to see how I, how this had happened to me. Um, this is sometime later, obviously. And, uh, and when I looked at it, I was like, oh yeah, I can see why I didn't see that. Uh, so yeah no one could have predicted it really it was just one of those things um and i spent forever thinking that kind of why well forever i spent a long time and my dark moments thinking why me you yeah. know why why me why that day you know what have i done that deserves this kind of outcome um but actually one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest benefits uh, was a conversation I had with one of my intensive care nurses. And he was very honest with me, actually, a few, on, a, on many levels, which is wonderful because a lot of people weren't actually for fear of litigation, but he, he kind of didn't have that. And um, he said to me, every time I'd say, why me? He'd say to me, well, why not you? It's going to happen to someone. Yeah. So why not you? And actually that was 
whilst it felt harsh at the time, I was like, oh, you bastard, what the... <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> um, uh, actually, when I sat and thought about it and gave myself time and space to think about it, it was a really poignant comment to make because why not me? Yeah, if, if, if it had to happen to someone and I was that person at that time, then actually I'm in a position where other things can happen, both positive and negative. So uh, it's, it's not a, a personal attack. It's not because I've done something wrong. It's, it's none of that sort of stuff. It's just, it's just a freak accident. Uh, it's quite powerful it, to have that actually as a, as a backup. And how interesting that actually at the time when you're hearing that comment, it feels harsh. And now it's probably the thing that really helped. And often it's just a, a really reflection here on when people hear feedback that's really direct and you feel it's harsh is how often that stuff in the future is the thing that you reflect on and go, actually, that's exactly what I needed at that time. It just mm. doesn't feel like what I needed at the time. Oh, no, of course. And uh, and that happened all the way through my, uh, through my paralysis journey. Um, obviously, I went from neck down paralysis, nothing below the neck, uh, felt like hope was gone. Um, but actually, in hindsight, it gave me and I had to develop a lot of resilient skills um, mm. to kind of flex those muscles in order to then deal with other things that came later. Um, some of them weren't even paralysis related, uh, but it was the worst thing that could have happened. But actually, if you reframe the worst thing that can happen to you, sometimes, like you say, it can give you different skills, different perspectives. Uh, and potentially affect your outcome in a different way than you would have otherwise had. For so, yeah. sure. And, and one thing I'm just really thinking about here as well is the idea, and it probably comes back to that nurse at the hospital that's telling you, why not you, is you can do in life, whether it's as serious as this situation, whether it's like medical, whether it's about work, whether it's about your career, whether it's about a relationship you're in, you can do everything right and everything can still go wrong. So you were doing the stuff that's good for your health. You're cycling. You're trying to be, you know, you're commuting to work while you're cycling. You're doing all of these things. But that's not going to stop something happening to you. No, exactly. And um, but but then equally, I think it's it's also about perspective, isn't it? Because Mm. things happen to everyone every day. Sometimes they're awful. Um, but also some of them, most of them are just almost negligible to the point where you don't even notice them, right? It's only when it has a very serious outcome that it becomes a very serious issue. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it was one of those things that changed the course of my life. Um, but in many ways I'm kind of glad that it did. It's opened up doors. It's opened up opportunities. It's opened up ways of thinking about different scenarios. And, and now I even get to share my story, uh, with people like yourself and, uh, and with some of my keynote speaking clients around how they can develop their own toolkits when facing change, when facing forced change, particularly, um, and, and particularly around things like crisis, how do you develop resilient skills so that, you don't just need them in the moment, but you can develop them for when you need them later. Uh, and that's yeah. been, yeah, it's been really interesting. And tell us a bit more now. Now we kind of heard the story up to the point of um, the surgery that you went into. Mm. Tell us what happened after the surgery and how you got to where you are now. Yeah. So I'm lying in bed in intensive care. I've got nothing below the neck. I'm just a head on a pillow looking up at ceiling tiles uh feeling very alone despite having huge amounts of support from friends and family and colleagues and 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 um, consultants and all sorts um and i start to get some sensation back and that sensation that i'm getting back i can only really describe as like being on fire yeah it was literally like boiling oil being poured over me 
24-7. It went from down both my arms. It went from below my, my the point of injury, so halfway up my neck, um, and down to my waist. I still had nothing below the waist. Uh, but it was the most intense pins and needles I could describe uh, by an order of magnitude. Uh, absolutely horrifically painful. But again, talking about reframing, I used to sit there and think, God, this, if this is what it's going to be like, if this is the, if this is as good as it gets, I don't think I'm going to be canceling my Switzerland ticket. Um, so yeah, but we reframed it again. When I say we, my wife and I reframed it as again, along the lines of, well, at least it's improvement. Yeah. Yesterday you had nothing and now you're on fire, but at least that's a step in the right way. Um, so yeah, we used to celebrate these almost like little wins really. Uh, on a regular basis so I'm lying there in bed and uh, day one I start to get some sensation then day two I open my eye and I look across to my wife and uh, she's on my left hand side I open my left eye I look across to her and I say and I'm what's 200 days from now and she said it's she worked it out she said it's December the 22nd why is that I say give me Christmas day and I'll be back to normal and that was my my promise came down as my 200 days promise to Helen that became my motivation every day to try and normally fail uh, to get something back but just kept on trying and trying and trying a thousand times a day until something would happen Um, and uh, that first thing that happened was a twitch of my left thumb a little bit like that kill bill moment you know when she's looking at her toes and wills it to happen Uh, I was doing exactly that and uh, and eventually my left thumb twitched and I thought oh was was that a spasm? Because I get these body spasms. Even today, I still struggle with with um, major or global body spasms. But I thought, is that a spasm or did I do that? And I tried it again and it moved again. And I thought, oh, wow, if I can do that, what else can I do? And I just redoubled my efforts. And now I was trying and failing 2,000 times a day to try and get something else to move or something else to, to, to feel in some way. And then it started to happen. I started to get like a domino effect. I started to get a little twitch that I could control somewhere else on my body, maybe on my leg or on my arm. Um, I get a patch of skin come back online. I never really lost the pins and needles and the the being on fire bit for quite some time. Um, But I did get little tiny wins uh, every day. And that happened for nearly nine, well, it happened for 90 days. I got these tiny little wins. And I know it's 90 days because on day 91, I did my little daily review where I'd wake up in the morning and say, okay, what are we going to achieve? What, what did we do yesterday? And by the end of the um, day, I'd look back on that one day alone and say, am I better than yesterday? That was my benchmark. I didn't care about what happened before the injury. I didn't care what I'd lost. I didn't care where I was. I couldn't, I couldn't look back too far because I wasn't that guy anymore. You know, things were different now. So I, I couldn't benchmark against what I wasn't. I could only benchmark against what I was. And uh, so I looked back at the end of that day, every day for 90 days. And on day 91, I remember thinking, nothing much happened today. And so we celebrated that as a win because that underlined the fact that for 90 days, something had happened. And we had a day that didn't happen was a great benchmark to show all the other stuff that had happened. So there was a strong kind of positive mental attitude to it. Um, There was a strong positive uh, reframing uh, of of some of these very negative, very dark times. and I still have those times. I mean, don't be me wrong. It's uh, positive mental attitude isn't the only thing that's going to get you through. You're not going to be skipping yeah. through the fields every day. And and it certainly can't make you levitate, right? There are certain things that thinking positively, which is really important, can't do. Um, so being open and honest about what it can and can't do is really important. Um, but it was uh, really helpful to be able to positive, positively reframe things 
and to have an objective view about just being better than yesterday. That was one of my biggest, uh, one of my biggest tools, really. It's so interesting. And your story is incredible. And also, every time you're saying something, I'm thinking of how it relates to so many things in life and not just this big situation that you were in and the idea of having this big goal that was in 200 days I am going to be back to normal in your in your words Mm. there for for Christmas I'll be back to normal but then accepting that every day is not going to be kind of zero to hero moment you're not going to suddenly be there and that it requires loads and loads of little bits of work and being able to deal with it not working as well and having that resilience to failing and trying again and failing and trying again Mm. and, and working through it whilst also kind of being in a massive amount of pain I imagine and the you know Mm. except and the other thing I just really noted was when you said I'm not that guy anymore and comparing yourself to yesterday versus who you were before and how in life in careers in all kinds of things there are times when we need to let the kind of previous version of ourselves go and be okay to be who we are today and I think that's a really interesting perspective to think about you know beyond your situation in all of our lives and Mm. Luckily, not everyone is going through uh, the the size of the situation and horribleness that you had to endure there. But there are many lessons from it, even in our lives that might not have the big drama within them. No, of course. And and I think the one thing that I often will um, stop people when we're talking about uh, my injury on is when they make that moment where they go, and it's very well-meaning, they make that moment where they go, yeah, I've got this like, bad back for instance it's nothing like you went through but and I have to stop them and go hold on a second um challenge is your challenge your biggest challenge is yours if it's nine out of ten for you then it's still nine out of ten yeah or ten out of ten my 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 challenge for me was extreme and paralysis is an extreme challenge for anyone um but it's not better or worse than someone else it's not more or less meaningful than someone else uh and I think that's a really important thing to not minimize your challenge. A lot of people, particularly women, do this, um, where they they minimize the, the struggles that they're going through because they feel they can't be vocal about it or they, they feel they can't uh, share those things uh, without feeling weaker. Or And, and men do this particularly uh, around sort of um, man up kind of comments, which are absolutely mm. poor. But uh, those kind of comments that are out there where there's this kind of masculinity around challenge and you should be able to take on all of these things. Otherwise, what sort of man are you kind of stuff? Um, and I think it's really important to bring it right back and say that your biggest challenge is your biggest challenge, whatever that is. Uh, and you're totally right from a, a, a zero to hero thing as well, because having spent many years um, as agency recruiter as executive headhunter kind of external to to the banking world and then working directly in the banking world as well in inside the corporate um none of the wins that i've had through my career or through my recovery journey have ever been zero to hero and none of them have been the big moment where you go it didn't happen and now it's here uh that i've always had goal setting as an important part of my life uh, that whether that be on a on a personal basis, on a commercial basis, uh, or or a corporate world, um, a professional basis. Now, I think having a north star as a major goal is a really important thing. 
having a, an, a gold medal winning level gold, you know, like when people set out for the Tokyo Olympics, they've been training for four years to get to that one moment where they might pass the finish line. But they don't just rock up on the day of the uh, of the Olympic Games and just knock out a gold medal. That's not how it happens. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, uh, yeah. In fact, the gold medal is the symptom of the hard work. If you do it well and you just perform in the same way as you've been training to perform, you forget about everybody else in the field and you just do your thing. It's either good enough or it's not good enough yeah. um, on the day. But it's only a symptom of all the hard work you've done. And and I'm sure this will probably resonate with the corporate listeners. You know, have your gold medal winning North Star goal, but have multiple goals in a day. You know, Have the tiny footsteps, the tiny wins. And uh, and that's how you can that's how you can climb mountains, right? It's that one step at a time. For sure. And one of the words that's just coming up in my mind, as I've seen it quite a lot recently, is this idea that we all have comparatitis, that we're always comparing <laughs> ourselves to other people, and how bad that is for us and for our mental health and for generally our lives when we you know compare ourselves especially and it kind of links to the other point I was going to make is we often see the winning moments so social media is full of like the winning moments and you do not see the hard graft and the tears and the pain and the sleepless nights and all the things that go into making that you see the moment and people present that moment and it's so easy to get stuck in comparing ourselves, our experiences to diminish our own feelings about things because someone else has it worse than us or because someone else um, has done loads better than us. We're not so good. And it's like, actually, I really love your idea of am I better than I was yesterday in some way? Have I progressed there? Mm. And that's a really growth mindset way of thinking about life, isn't it? It's like, am I better than yesterday? Not comparing to am I better than I was 10 years ago because I'm no longer that person. And none of us are who we were 10 years ago that's not how life works and whether you've been through a major change of your life like you have or whether you've just gone through life and you've grown up in the last 10 years because we're constantly evolving as people is so okay so yesterday I, I was here where am I today what have I improved on where have I got to yeah. and I also really like the fact that you had that one moment where you saying, well nothing's happened today and that's also something to celebrate yeah absolutely I mean uh, I think there's uh, I've, I've got no problem with comparison I think comparison is a good thing. Um, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. So comparison is a good thing fundamentally. But understanding what you're comparing to and what the parameters are, that's crucial. I mean, the, the only thing I could compare myself to was me. And yeah. then the only thing, I, and that's the, what I was yesterday uh, from a historic basis. But then from, a, from a, a, a progressive stance, the only thing I can compare myself to is my potential. So if I'd run that day and I'd only given 10% of my effort, I might have improved. I might be better than I was yesterday with only 10% of my effort, but I'd have failed on my progression. Uh, so yeah. I wouldn't have done what I could have done should I have put all the effort in. Um, but then equally, some days, and don't don't be wrong, nobody gives 100% every day. It's not physically it's not possible. possible. Yeah. People would like to think about it. That kind of, um, I love the comparatitis comment. That's great. Um, and I hear about all this like hustle porn that's out there. Um, and it's just ridiculous where everyone's giving 100% every day. And if you're not working hard enough, you're not progressing enough and all this sort of stuff. Um, but I, I would always try and give my best effort. You know, some days, my best effort would be 100% of my potential. And some days, my best effort might be 50%. Because I'm just not able, I mean, take, this morning is a case in point, right? I have a really weird new body that I'm still getting used to five years later, where some days I can be on top of the world and doing incredible things, um, not just for someone with disability, but versus other people without disability, I've been achieving some incredible things. 
And then other days I'll wake up and I can't get out of bed. And today was one of those days. Yeah, I was this, I, I literally had to drag myself um, to to do this call actually. And and it was a really, I really wanted to, hence why we're here. But oh my God, it was so much effort just to get out of bed and get up to the man cave and set up the audio so that we can have a chat. Uh, and am I going to be proud of what we've done today? Absolutely. You know, because I've done all I can today. And don't get me wrong, I'm probably going to go and crash after this call. Um, yeah. But it's okay. You know, I'm, I'm giving the best effort that I can give rather than the best effort that it's possible that someone could give. So yeah, I think yeah. comparing yourself to yourself is important and comparing yourself to your potential is also important. And I love that idea of the balance between your potential and kind of where you've come from as well, because that will give you that sense, won't it, of, you know, have I done the best I can could I be doing more? What else could I be thinking about? And that really future positive focus on it versus actually yesterday I didn't do so good against where I was at and now I feel a bit bad. And also I think there's something here for so many people and, you know, myself included is, you know, I, I do not have a disability, but there are days and I've had them. And I think maybe especially during lockdown where we've kind of been in this world, weird world where at three o'clock in the afternoon, I've just had to go to bed for an hour. I've just had yeah. to do it. Like I, the physically, if you listen to your body, it was like, I just need to go and have a nap. And I, it, I berated myself for it for a while. And I think many people do. Mm. But some days, and again, if you have any challenges with mental health issues, if you have challenges with physical health issues, if you're just a human being who's a bit tired, being able to say to yourself, actually, that's the best I could do today because today was not my best day. Absolutely. And I'm okay with that. And, and I think being okay with that is the important bit. I think saying, I've made my decision. Um, I'm not going to make a decision and then feel bad about the decision I've made. Uh, because that is just a way to depression. You know, if you're constantly going to be undermining your own decision making by thinking it's not the right thing to have done, <laughs> then don't do it. Uh, but if you are going to make a decision, then back yourself. You, you need to be your MVP. You, know, you need to be the player yeah. on your team that is the one that you back and and if you make that decision for the right reasons if you made it for the wrong reasons then maybe you need to think about your decision making um but if you made it for the right reasons with the right parameters and that's beneficial to you and to others and no one's getting hurt by you doing those things then back yourself you know i think that's that's important and and then try again the next time you know step up again people we spoke earlier about the olympics there and um I've been very lucky recently to have spoken to a number of people that have been involved, particularly in the rowing world, um, that have been medalists and champions of, of all sorts around the world from all different countries. And the one thing that strikes me is that they turn up every day, they give their best effort every day, and then they put it to bed and they come back the next day. And it's it's beautiful to watch. It's so incredibly simplistic in many ways. And don't get me wrong, there's a hell of a lot of complexity in professional sport at the elite level, absolutely, um, even at the non-elite level. But from a, from a kind of blueprint point of view, they all do the same thing and they all do it in the same way. Um, so they turn up and they give the best effort and they rinse and repeat. And, and that goes on for years until eventually, like we said, gold medals become symptoms. Um, well, there's no reason that people in the corporate world can't be winning their personal gold medals through their promotions or their project completions to the best ability or even awards. I mean, we've all been accessed and, and well, not we've all, but um, a number of people have uh, have had access to winning awards and, and whatnot. And it's a wonderful feeling when that happens. Um, but yeah, you didn't win it because uh, you just rock up on the day. You, you win it because of all that hard graft. 
So, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, in the professional athlete world, it's the, you're getting up at five o'clock in the morning and getting out onto a really cold river when you really just want to stay in bed and kind of making yourself do some of those things. Mm. And, you know, interestingly, a lot of the um, athletes in the world talk about this idea that they have to have like one high performance moment a year, if that's at the world championships or one amazing high performance, mo- high performance moment every four years at the Olympics or the Paralympics. And it's that idea that you spent all of that time for that one moment in time, Mm. but that one moment in time, isn't the whole picture. It seems like it is, but it's actually the training and the investment of yourself and what you give to your teammates. And there's so many other things that are actually potentially even more important than whether you get up on a podium and win a medal it's the the effort that really makes a difference i completely agree i mean there are no podium moments without all of those things coming together right the stars have got to align even with my recovery journey i mean i had the right hydration the right nutrition the right timing around an experimental clinical trial that was happening i had the love and support of my friends and family i had my own bloody-minded determination to to (laughs) not give up and carry on and if any of those things were missing the outcome would have been different um so not not that all of those things are always in your control. Sometimes things are out of your control. And I'm, I'm a big believer in making sure that you focus on the things you can change and don't focus on the things that you can't. But don't lie yeah. to yourself. Don't pretend you can change them if you can't. And don't pretend you can't change them if you can, um, which a lot of people do. And it's understandable. It's totally understandable. But it's not helpful. Uh, and if you can, and I, I spend a long time talking about this sometimes with um, with companies that if we can help people understand what they can change and then they can really back themselves, like we said earlier, into making those changes, then positive things will happen. And if they can understand what they can't change, they won't waste that time. They won't be inefficient in their decision-making or their thinking time uh, around important decisions, uh, which could be otherwise distracting if if you're wasting time on things you just can't change. Um, And also a lot of people do get very... Uh, subjective and emotional about those things that they can't change you know they lament the fact that they can't change them and that's easy to do I mean when I was lying there as a paralyzed person I could have been looking back at and I did don't get me wrong I had my four o'clock in the morning moments where nothing good happens (laughs) Um, (laughs) plenty of those I've cried my fair share of tears believe me Um, and uh, I could look back on those moments and say I regret this. You know, I want this to be different. Of course I do regret it. Of course I do want it to be different, but but I can't change it. So if I can't change it, I can't spend my time there. It's it's not healthy for me to spend my time there. And it's not it's just not progressive. It's not make it's not helping me move forwards by constantly looking backwards. Um so I, I saw a really interesting quote the other day that said, Don't look backwards, you're not going that way. Yeah. It's so true, isn't and, uh, it? And it just made me smile because I think it really is true. I think, I mean, the Freudian uh, view out there would disagree and say you need to understand where you've come from in order to understand where you're going to. And Bob Barley said something along those lines, didn't he? Uh, and I think uh, there is an element of truth to that. And I think understanding your pathway and why you got to where you got to is important. But I can't, well, on a personal level, I couldn't spend much time, I couldn't afford to spend much time um, going over all of the reasons why I was there. I could only really afford that time if I was thinking about the pathway from that position onwards. 
Yeah, and I, I think that you know some healthy reflection is a good thing. Mm. But what you're talking about here around the you know work on the things that are actually in your control is so aligned to the thinking around work joy. And so many people that I work with who are in that kind of work gloom situation, so the opposite of the work joy stuff, mm. are there because they are. I think you use the word lamenting. They're stuck and lamenting about things that they have no control over, like how other people behave. That is one thing you cannot control. Mm. Um, um, or things like, oh, I never got this promotion. It's like, okay, but if you're lamenting that, what are you doing to move forward to it? What are you doing about your potential to make it happen? Or, you know, even to the case where some people are stuck in organizations that just don't align with who they are and what their values are now and may have been there previously, but there's some kind of thing stopping them working towards what's next um, and kind of really just getting stuck in that zone of things you're not in control of. And it's so... Mm. And, and that's subjective, emotional, it feels awful. Um, but being able to see, and I, I'm just wondering here about your idea here of both thinking about how am I compared to yesterday and how am I doing about my potential could be a really good route out of that for some people. Yeah, I think finding the time, carving the time out to spend quality time talking that through with people that you know and trust um, that can give you good advice. I think it's really important. Um, I was very lucky that I had a lot of people around me. So I was able to talk about those things and I was able to talk about them very openly. Um, yeah. And I also think that, I mean, in my case, particularly with paralysis, uh, I was being helped by a, a ton of other people, but I was also helping those uh, because with spinal cord injury, I was the one that suffered the broken neck. But actually, in reality, we all suffered spinal cord injury. Um, and I use the word suffer, but it's funny, actually. Uh, in America... Um, or, and, and particularly in the, the world of those living with disability, the word suffer is a big no-no uh, because not everybody suffers with spinal cord injury. Uh, at that time, I was suffering uh, and it felt like I was suffering. So that's why I use that word really um, delicately, but, but firmly. The, uh, the world of spinal cord injury, everybody around me had an impact. Everybody had the rock in the pond and the, the waves were, were washing over them. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was important to focus on what we could change together yeah um, where we were uh, what the options were how we were going to approach that how we were going to get through it together because um, it, it can be a very lonely place and that's not just paralysis that can be I've, I've done those moments at work as well where you're still there at 11 o'clock at night and you, all the automatic lights around you have turned off and it's just you and <laughs> yeah. Bob from finance because it's invariably well my guy was a guy called Gareth but uh Gareth from finance and and I were the only people in the whole of a huge open plan office of hundreds of people. And it felt like it was three or four nights a week. You know, it was just ridiculous. And you were sitting there just going, why am I doing this? I'm introducing myself to my wife on a weekend. You know, what's going on here? Um, and I think a lot of people go through that process. I think a lot of people, it, I think it would be churlish to say, you just need to choose to be happy and choose to do the job you want to do and all that sort of stuff. Cause it's not that easy, yeah. is it? Let's face it's it. It's not that easy. Yeah. No. Some people have mortgages to pay. Uh, they have limited options around the jobs that they can do or want to do or, or have the opportunity to do. Um, but I do think like somebody who might be developing a side hustle on the side of their, their business, um, you should be your own side hustle. You, know, you should be defining me limited and what that needs to look like. Uh, and actually that steps back a little bit as well to what we were saying earlier around being better than you were yesterday and not comparing yourself to the person you were too far ago because you're not that person anymore. But 
that the flip side of that is it's not just you that's different, but the whole world is different. I mean, yeah, the COVID has shown us that in spades, right? But even pre-COVID, the whole world is moving all the time. And if you're not moving with it and in symbiosis with it, then technically you're you're taking a step backwards in your own world. So so you do have to be vigilant of where the world is going and how you're traveling with it and alongside it. Um, because you need to take opportunities and you need to spot opportunities. But it is very, very easy to have the weight of the world on your shoulders and get blinkered by ridiculous hours or crazy deadlines or or, or demanding clients uh, and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And in the work joy theory of life and everything to do with work, we're definitely not in the zone of, you know, you should just be happy with everything that's going on. It's not about being happy all the time because I, I personally, I think it's unrealistic and I think it's a lot of pressure to put on yourself to be happy. Um, because happiness isn't something that you can feel constantly because things happen outside of your control. I think when we're talking about work joy, we're talking about, you know, are you doing that stuff where you are investing in your own understanding of yourself? Are you reflecting on it? Are you finding the moments of joy? And one thing you said earlier was around this idea that, you know, you remember the really awful moments, you remember the really great moments, but that that big chasm in the middle of those things, there are good things that happen in the Ooh. neutral zone. And are we recognizing them and understanding them? And do we get enough of those? And can we, can we cultivate some more of those moments? Can we take a bit more control of some of the stuff that is in our control, but we've forgotten we are in control of it? And I love the idea as well of like you using the community around you and obviously you had your family and the medical community and all kinds of people there supporting you and to remember that they're there to do it but they're not mind readers Mm. they do not have crystal balls as to what you need so you know if you understand what you need go and ask them get some understanding get some ideas from other people absolutely and they have their own needs as well you can you can take a lot you can get a lot of joy from helping other people um so even though it might be your problem you helping them understand their problem through your problem can actually be really helpful for both of you. So Absolutely. why wouldn't you share that? You know, that's, that, feels like a, that feels like an obvious thing to share. But it's, whilst it feels like an obvious thing to share, it's practically not always as easy. So practicing sharing, practicing engaging other people in those kind of things is something that is really important. I'm doing a little side story. I'm, uh, my son is at university and he's probably on the autistic spectrum. We've never had him actually tested, but we think he probably is. Um, he is struggling at the moment like nobody's business to communicate his feelings. Uh, he's very caught up in essays and he's missing deadlines and he's sat up in his room. He's not for want of effort. He's up there like 12 hours a day tapping away on his keyboard and then not producing the goods, as it were. And um, so we've had to have lots of honest conversations to say, look, tell us about what you're thinking. Tell us about what you're feeling. And he's really struggling to do that. So I'm very mindful that it's not as easy as just doing it. Sometimes you need to learn how to do it. And uh, so we've put some practical tools in place where um, I'm asking him to email somebody, don't care who it is, about what he's doing or to ask a question or to say, I found this interesting or to just ask for someone's opinion on where he is right now on this particular essay. Um, Just do that twice a week. And I want him to blind copy me into it. And the reason I want him to do it is I want him to get positive responses from practicing those things, because the more you practice it and when you get positive reinforcement, the easier it becomes to do. And uh, so, yeah, so with with Leon, uh, he's now going through that process and it's only been a week, but he's actually getting some really positive feedback and it's becoming easier for him to open up about some of those things that he otherwise would have been very closed about. 
Um, so yeah, finding those practical tools, I think, is 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 important as well. Yeah, and just uh, making one step, taking one step towards it, and not expecting yourself to suddenly be able to do it straight away. Mm, mm. And yeah, and, and little practical, easy to do things that build that. And I do think that when you get into that situation where it does feel overwhelming, where work or life or study, whatever you're trying to do is overwhelming, is I do think many people tend to retreat into themselves and thinking that they have to come up with the answers and they have to fix themselves. And actually, I think that's where some of the gloom stuff really thrives is when we go into ourselves versus talking to other people getting some perspective getting other people's perspectives on our work getting some feedback getting some recognition getting some help are all the things that can really make a big difference no I totally agree I think there's someone said to me a little while ago I can't remember who it was now but someone said to me oh I know who it was it was a performance coach um I was talking about not feeling good enough like that kind of imposter syndrome like someone was going to pat me on the shoulder at any moment and go excuse me why are you here um and he used to say to me i'd I'd get really caught up in it and it would be be really challenging and um he used to say to me so what's your review say every year said oh wait come comes up i've got an outstanding performance on this and won this award or I've, i've been promoted to this or this pay rise or whatever he was saying to me so why is your opinion more important than all these other people that have made these things happen (laughs) So let's let's just check your ego for a second. You know, why are you why is your decision about you not being good enough better than all these people that prove otherwise? And uh, and I, I sat there and I had to kind of smile to myself because it did come from a position of pretty strong ego actually. Yeah. I was like, well, yeah, because I I obviously know me better than everybody else, but actually in reality the the, the truth was different. Um, and when I could objectively look at it um, and use other people to help me objectively look at those scenarios then all of a sudden I could take a lot more joy in the work that I was doing yeah. and in the awards that I was winning and the pay rises I was getting. And and it wasn't me feeling bad about all of those things happening. It was me feeling good about those things happening. And actually, as we probably all um, feel, uh, good begets good often. Yeah. If you're feeling good about something, you spot good things. You know, If you're driving, if you just bought yourself a new Toyota, you're going to spot Toyotas around. Um, so what do they call it? Reticular activating system, I think yeah uh, the psychological pathway of of spotting things when you're kind of uh, sensitized to them well get yourself sensitized to being good at stuff get yourself sensitized to joyful things get yourself sensitized to wins and you know what you might just have a few more and might enjoy a few more um so yeah i thought uh, so thank you trevor for that the performance coach thanks Trevor it's a great bit of advice there and it's certainly one that I think many people including myself can take a little bit it's like why do you think your opinion is more important than what everyone else says um it's a really really good way of looking at it um what I'd love to do now if you can if it's okay with you is we kind of got to your story from up to 90 days mm. and you had this massive 200 day goal tell us where you got to then and where you are now well yeah there's uh there's four years in between there so i'll speak at speed but uh, i'll cut out the rocky montage in the middle but effectively it turned into <laughs> um 90 days I, uh, I i had nothing much happened on day 91 uh, and then incredibly uh i stood for the first time and i started to take my first tentative footsteps and uh there's a video actually i'll flick it over to you so you can have a watch um but yeah or a link maybe on on this for others to see amazing yeah um, send a link 
but there's a, a short video footage of me uh, walking out of my mum's house. Uh, I couldn't bear to stay in hospital in a minute longer than I had to. So every weekend I was going off to someone's house, someone um, using hospital a bit like a hotel really is in hindsight. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, I was off at my mum's place and, uh, and she said to me, well, with your wheelchair, how are we going to get you into the house? Are we going to put ramps up and we're going to do this? And she was literally, she's a bit handy anyway. She was talking about like building ramps and things. I said, well, why don't I just walk? Why don't I just try and walk in there? So we drove over in the car, uh, got to my mum's place. And uh, and this, this video, I, I won't ruin it, but this video is basically me walking out of um, my mum's house back to the car to go back to the hospital. And, uh, but yeah, that was the day I took my first steps. And then again, Rocky Montage, lots of physio with the trauma guys at, at St. George's and then a whole bunch of work um, that was done at home and through external physios as well. Uh, day 200 rolls around. It's Christmas Day, my house, uh, 2016. And uh, again, there's another video I'll send you a link to as well, um, where I walk again, very tentatively, I walk our Christmas turkey to the table and I complete a promise to myself and to my wife that I would walk again. Uh, I, I wasn't hundred percent back to normal, but I was pretty bloody close compared to where I was. And uh, like we said before, thousands of little wins got me to that step, uh, got me to take those first steps. And uh, thank God I didn't drop our uh, turkey. <laughs> I was going to say, was everyone more excited about the walking or more worried about whether the turkey was going to get dropped? Yeah, exactly. No, no, it was very much about the walking. <laughs> I like to think. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, so 200 days comes around. And I, like I say, I'm not 100% back to normal. So I haven't completely fulfilled on my promise. I'm still paralyzed today. I still have elements of paralysis today. Um, however, uh, versus driving around in a power chair with my, my mouth for the rest of my life to be able to walk a Christmas turkey to our table in, let's face it, 200 days is what, six months. Uh, I'd beaten the odds and uh, I'd been able to complete promises to myself and to my family and my friends and and even people that had heard the story that were watching it on social media and things, people I'd never met and have never and probably will never meet um, that were inspired by that journey um, and it was, it's great to, to know that you're inspiring people that you don't even know. You, you never know who you're inspiring. And that for me is a good enough reason to carry on doing it because someone somewhere will get something from it and that will just change the way they think. It will change the way they act and it will change their outcome. Um, yeah. so yeah, so that was pretty intense. Amazing. And, um, tell us a little bit before we go into the quick fire questions. Um, tell us a little bit about what you've been doing since. So you've been doing some amazing work. And I think um, a little summary of what you've been up to would really help our listeners um, understand what you're up to. Mm. So, well, I, I learned to walk in 200 days and I was bloody knackered. So uh, Boxing Day, <laughs> my house, 2016, uh, I was lying on the couch uh, having Baileys on my cornflakes watching the Bond film like every self-respecting boy should do. Yeah. And um, I decided I wanted to do something new because I mean, I'd effectively won my gold medal, right? So what do I do from here? Yeah. And uh, so I decided that I was going to set up a charity fundraising effort and I was going to get back on the bike that I fell from and I was going to cycle the 100 miles that I didn't get to do because of my injury. And I was going to do it in 200 days from that day. So I set about another Rocky montage. Um, and <laughs> and again, in the interest of time, uh, 200 days later, I found myself at Red Bull headquarters 
on my bike, uh, strapped up to a turbo trainer, which is effectively where you remove the back wheel and put it onto a flywheel. So I'm not riding on the road, but I'm riding against the equivalent pressures and, and speeds and things that you would do normally. And uh, and I cycled those hundred miles, and uh, and I came in twenty seconds short of my six hour goal. So um, yeah, I, I was able to to cover those hundred miles, and, and I did a few other things. I learned to run again. Uh, took part in the Wings for Life World Run, which is happening again in May. If anybody's interested, check that out. Uh, wingsforlifeworldrun.com and uh, so I learned to run again in that and uh, I used to run kind of 5k's before my injury not many but here and there Uh, when I was running this particular race I didn't stop until I got to 7k so not only was I running further than I would normally run but I was running with an injury as well and uh, so yeah I was really really proud of of my achievements there and I learned to ski and then I became the first uh, quadriplegic to virtually summit Everest on my stairs at home over lockdown um, to raise money for Wings for Life um, and also for the NHS. And um, and then just recently in February, so whatever that was, six, seven weeks ago, um, we just concluded the world's biggest fully inclusive indoor rowing event for charity, uh, where we had 11 countries and 1,000 people on rowing machines around the world rowing for 2,000 hours um collectively in a four-hour window uh with a five-hour live stream attached to it so so yeah there's been a few things that have been going on from a charity fundraising perspective um that have all been based around uh overcoming adversity overcoming challenge um being fully inclusive to include people with disability as much as those without but whether it's I'm not a big fan of the word the word disability in many ways because ultimately it's just challenge yeah all of us face challenge and you don't have to have a broken neck for that to be a challenge you don't have to have a mental um uh, a mental challenge uh, for that to or a mental um, disability for one of the word impairment there you go um for that to be your challenge so it's been important to me to do physical things to include everyone in that um, and to raise charity uh, funds to find a cure for spinal cord injury amazing and uh, we will put some links in there to those uh, amazing charities as well and, and the work that you've been doing uh when we pop this podcast out in the big wide world um what i'd love to do is to continue chatting to you for another four or five hours because i'd love to hear about the rocky montages and what actually happened in those times because that's where all the hard work happens right is in the montage not in the achievement but we need to be mindful of our listeners' time as well. So I'm going to move on, if it's okay with you, to some quick fire questions. Mm. So the first one, and one we ask everybody who comes on the podcast, is what is one thing that's always guaranteed to bring you a little bit of work joy? One thing that's going to bring me a bit of work joy. I love a podcast. Um, I'm a big fan of working with something on in the background. Uh, our yeah. world is uh, normally uh, Radio 4 running in the background as the kind of theme tune to my life. But when I'm not listening to the radio, I have podcasts uh, running as well. Everything from business through to sport through to psychology. Brilliant. And you can listen to this one as well. You can and listen to this yourself. one now, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next question is, what book are you currently reading? I, I'm not a big reader, uh, but I do listen to audiobooks. Uh, that's how I take on my information. So I'm currently uh, listening to The Long Win by Olympic silver medalist Kath Bishop, uh, which is a fantastic audiobook for business as much as it is for sport. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, then uh, I would highly recommend it. 
I highly recommend it too. Kath is a wonderful friend and partner of WorkJoy. She was actually the first ever episode of the WorkJoy Jam. Was, was she really? Kath. Wow, what a coincidence. Yeah. So a uh, lovely recommendation there. The book is incredible. Her thinking is amazing. Um, I love every minute of it. So I would definitely recommend it either in the uh, reading version or in the listening version. They are both excellent. Um, what is the best or most useful bit of advice that someone has given you in your lifetime that you find yourself always coming back to? Uh, I'm going to step back to that same ICU nurse. Um, the sage piece of advice, bar none, that I was given was in the dark times, you're going to need rope ladders. You're going to need things, tools that you can use to get you out of those dark moments um, to find your joy, effectively, to find your way back. Um, but don't rely on trying to find them when you're in the middle of it. Practice them in the good times. Um, so, yeah, I practiced a bunch of uh, visualizations that allowed me to um, develop a muscle, a resilience muscle, using visualizations so that when I did go into those dark times, I was able to get myself back out of them uh, relatively swiftly. And what I found as well is that by having them in the toolkit and by practicing them in the good times and having that kind of muscle memory, um, I didn't get into those spirals anywhere near as often as I would have done otherwise. Uh, so yeah, practice, practice your resilience tools in the good times so that when the bad times come, you already have them in hand. Brilliant. Such great advice there and something that I'm sure we can all take on. What I would love as well from you is what is one super practical bit of advice that you would give to our listeners that they could, something easy that they could go and do today or tomorrow and the next day, maybe build a habit around it that would help them to maybe have more resilience or help them to get more joy in their lives. Okay. Um, that's a bit more challenging. I would say I'm a big fan of the word choice. Uh, choice in, regardless of the situation, whether you can or can't control something, you can control your response to it. So I would look back at those things where you felt out of control, maybe pick two or three of recent times, look at what happened, look at how you responded to those things, whether it was positive or negative, and try and understand why and how you got into that mindset um, and dissect that down. You know, Be scientific about it. Try and be objective about it as well. Don't have a value judgment about whether it's the right or wrong thing to do. Just look at what happened and how it happened. And then if you can understand those mechanics, then maybe that will help you be a little more objective when it comes to making those decisions in future difficult situations. That's really great advice and understanding it and then thinking about how you might use it into the future. Mm. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Stephen. It's been a wonderful conversation. And um, where can people find out more about you and the fantastic work you're doing? So yeah, whilst I've uh, now left the bank, I am now a keynote speaker on forced change, um, challenge, and crisis resilience. They're my it's called challenge specialist speaker. Um, so stephendow.com, uh, it's being revamped at the moment actually, but stephendow.com is there, and uh, you can certainly connect with me through that. Um, but also, I'm all over LinkedIn on a regular basis, and um, so yeah, very easy to to find. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Stephen. It's been a joyful conversation. And thank you so much for sharing your story and your amazing advice. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to this episode with Stephen. There are so many things that I could comment on and take away. And I'm sure that you all have many things in your head too. 
but I'm going to pick out a couple that were really my big takeaways here. And the first one is this thing around comparing ourselves. And I know in my own world and with people I work with that comparisitis is one of those things that many of us struggle with. We look at what's going on on social media. We look at our friends. We look at our family. Where are they at? Where am I at? Where do I fit within that? How how do I compare with our colleagues? And it is so true that that's not particularly helpful. Number one, we only know a part of what really goes on in other people's lives. So we're often only seeing the shiny outside, not the work that it took to get there. And I really love Stephen's advice about comparing yourself today against yesterday and towards what you could do tomorrow. So you're both looking forwards and looking backwards, but it's always compared against yourself. And also that admission that you can say to yourself, today is not my best day. And be okay when sometimes you might be taking two steps backwards when you want to be taking two steps forwards. I also love this idea of having that really big, bold goal that maybe seems at the time completely out of reach but breaking it down into those smallest smallest what am I going to do this minute this hour this day and the idea that success whatever it is that you want to get to wherever that might be for you whatever the work your worst day looks like moving beyond that and many of you I hope most of us will not have a worst day as bad as Stephen's worst day but that doesn't mean it's not an important thing for you to be considering and the idea that it's really made up of a thousand little wins little actions little moments where you take your attitude you get some perspective and you do something with it and you make that choice I really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode I know I really enjoyed speaking to Stephen if you are interested in finding out more about Stephen, we'll pop the um, links into the show notes. Really interesting um, speaker. And I think you will find really inspirational more things from him. Also, if you're interested in more things to do with create work joy and creating and cultivating some joy in your working life, do make sure you're following us on social media. We are at Create Work Joy on LinkedIn instagram facebook and twitter we also have the website www.createworkjoy.com where you can find more about um, the work joy way which is my signature 16 week coaching program and also club work joy which is our new growing community of people who want to get more joy in their working life and to do that through collaboration with others and some exciting news to come on that in the following months Thank you all for listening today and I will speak to you soon.